Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catchy Little Lick is from Wishbone Ash and their newest single called We Stand As One off their latest release, Coat of Arms, Steamhammer SPV release. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. We'll be talking to Andy Powell, guitarist, vocalist for Wishbone Ash, and Wishbone Ash has been an influence for many rock and rollers over the years. And their live recordings are just as good. They've put out plenty of studio albums. And their latest studio album, which includes the song you heard, We Stand As One, is called Coat of Arms. It comes out as a 2LP set, 140-gram black vinyl and a gatefold. And Andy will tell us all about the success of Wishbone Ash, if he believes that Wishbone Ash should have been more popular in America. Uh, They certainly were very popular in England. Um, And what he thinks of this latest release, Coat of Arms, compared to all the other studio albums that Wishbone Ash has, has put out in the past. Okay, we'll be right back with Andy after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Hello, Pat. How are you? Andy Powell, how are you? I'm good, man. So are you calling from the road with Uriah Heep and Nazareth? Are you in Europe? Yeah, we are actually on a tour. Yeah, we're on a a, a tour in Germany. and uh, The three acts are playing shows every night. And then we go off and we do a slew of dates by ourselves. And then after that, we go and tour um, the States through the, the uh, South and the um, West Coast and stuff. Yeah, so it was about two months of touring, yeah. Yeah. You're going to be busy all year, from what I see. <laughs> well, we're always busy, but yes. yeah, this is a busy year because we have a new album. Exactly. And isn't it true that it's been 50, 50 years ago this month that you your debut album was released? Is that correct? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it's this month. I think, uh, 
Well, it could be, yeah, I think it is. Uh, we're certainly ce celebrating the 50th year. I mean, the band was formed in... Um, in uh, 69, October of 69. So the whole year we're kind of using that kind of banner, you know, that, that's, that's what we're touring under. But we also happen coincidentally to have a new album, so it's perfect synergy, really. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it was a debuted album 50 years ago, and now you have this new album, Coat of Arms, and I got to tell you, leading off the album the right way with We Stand As One, it's a great has a great repetitive guitar lick throughout. It's really catchy. Thank you. And yeah. you even said yourself it's a great anthem song. Yeah, well, you know, we we didn't we, none of this stuff was contrived. I mean, I the song was inspired obviously um, a little bit earlier in the year, last year by the um the fact that, you know, Amazonia was on fire yeah. and everyone was going, "Oh my god, not the Amazon," you know. And we knew, obviously, that, you know, logging was going on there, and uh, clear-cutting, and they're trying to introduce counterfeit. And, I mean, you know, I'm somewhat political, but it was just shocking to me, you know, because, like, getting back to the trees in Connecticut, you know, I love trees, I love forests, I love... I, I understand what they bring to us, you know, and so that was shocking. So that inspired the song, and then, of course, subsequent to that, everywhere else started burning, Indonesia, California, and now look at Australia... It's yeah. it's an absolute tragedy, you know, yeah. and um, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I uh, I put this song together, and it's it's just it seems to be very current, and um, and, I, and I feel you know we we go on stage, we play it actually, and um, I, I feel very impassioned about it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, it's a piece of music. It it hits you right between the eyes, I think. Yeah, with a song like that, with such a message, it's good to have it as an anthem type song. I think. Yeah. Get... Yeah. It, it. I mean, we didn't set out to do this, but it just seems to have worked, and I'm really encouraged by the response that we're getting from people. You know, as they hear it for the first time, and that's that's very you know it's it's, it's rewarding. You know. Well, you have it's a a double whammy, so to speak. You have that great, like I said, guitar lick, a melodic. It sticks in your head. And then you have the message of the song as well. And yeah, you said yourself, it's... Wait. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, carry on, go on. It, You know, you could say it's a little political, but something like this shouldn't be political. I think that's the message in the song. It's, it's almost like, let's stop being tribal and let's stand as one to protect this shared planet. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly, and you know, the initial uh, what what I what I was observing was um, the indigenous people in Brazil uh, yes. were, were, were coalescing and forming themselves into, you know, a, a group to stand as one against the Bolsonaro um, uh, government, mm -hmm. and that that was that was where that phrase came from, and the and the, um, but I think that the uh, yeah, it goes beyond political. It's just like, oh my God, what is going on out there? You know, mm -hmm. we better really be. Paying attention, so, um, but yeah, get back to the music. I mean, it's got uh, some strong earworm characteristics to it. Yeah, the big riff. Um, and what was really nice about putting it together was um, it was just a, a, a wonderful um, thing to be working finally in the studio with um, my new guitar partner. He was saying yes. he's been in the band for three years now, which is Mark Abraham. So you know, that little earworm riff was something he came up with really? and I said you know what yeah I said you know so yeah I mean so I said this is a great way to debut yourself on the album you know and um, that inspired the song so you know he played it to me and I went that's killer you know 
So, you know, like when, when musicians are getting together, you kind of like produce one another and you go, no, nah, that idea sucks. Or no, that's got something. And then, you know, I pulled that out of him and he was delivering, you know, that and then the heavy riff behind it. And then we put it into a song. We worked on that together. And then my son actually came into the picture. He's a drummer. And he kind of came up with the um, opening lines on the lyric. And then we completed it. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice uh, communal effort, you know, all round. Um, and using these younger guys to kick me up the ass with a great idea, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> well, you, you even compared it to the uh, classic The Warrior, the, which is a heavy rock anthem. Well, it struck me that way. You see, the, the thing about Mark Abrams, um, he's now been on the road with me for three years, and he started out playing guitar, um, being influenced by Wishbone Ash. Yes. So, um, at the age of nine. Wow. So he's got this, yeah, he's got this kind of DNA in his in his system, in his, in his guitar style. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just been so rewarding to actually get in the studio with him because he... Um, it kind of like reminds me of, um, of of these directions that we went down, these avenues. And you, and you mentioned the song "The Warrior" from uh, from the Argus album, which you know is this, it's a strident, um, anthemic song. And I think that you know there's some there's some uh, some songs on the album which definitely harken back. You know, we're not trying to ape the past, we're not trying to mimic the past, but they these songs they they harken back and and they pull out. Um, strands you know streams of of consciousness that were there on earlier songs on earlier albums without being you know kind of like a, a tribute to that you know it's just it's just i mean we're at that point in our career really 50 years if you think about it we've created such a definitive style that we're even influenced by our own style i mean mm -hmm. you know i don't have to dig around listen to other bands and go oh you know what i think we should try and sound like zz top on this track i can't i, I don't need to do that because i've got like 24 or 5 albums of music and it's like, hey, do you remember when we did that cool, they went down that cool uh, direction with such and such song. Let's try and develop that strand a little bit again now. And we could do that when we're in a rehearsal room and we're trying to come up with new songs. Well, it's, it makes it even better that someone like Mark, who was influenced by you guys while learning guitar, and I'm wondering if Argus was one of those albums that he picked up and was turned on to, <laughs> which would have been pretty well, cool. Well, he was. No, he totally was because um, you know, his father was a fan. Ah. So he was sitting as a little boy in a car driving back and forth to school or wherever they were going, and he, and he would be bombarded with his music. And, yeah. I mean, it's a funny thing, you know. Like, I mean, this is like, this is, we have a generation now of people um, who, who are younger, but they're, they, they, they hear this music and they're like, you know, where did that come from? You know, um, so yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he he's just a part of the whole picture. That's all I can tell you. And when I play with him, you know, it's like um, age doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, you just kind of like got the same influences, and he's tapped into my sound. He, he'll remind me of um, uh, the band's direction as it used to be. You know, and he knows it almost more intimately than I do. Sometimes I'm a bit oblivious to my past. You know. Well, it's cool. That's a good point. He points you out to things that you might have... He does, yeah. yeah. He keeps me focused. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's I, I saw the video, and... Well, first of all, it's cool that he's finally 
playing on a studio album with you guys. Instead Very of just cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the secondly is I saw the video for We Stand As One. It's a damn good video, and it's it's live, oh, it's man. mixed in, and you're playing your yeah. Flying V, which is very cool. Oh, yeah, I always do, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like that's a... That's me. That's signature. And uh, what is it about the Flying V that you have loved over all these years as a guitar? Well, you know, I bonded with it when I first... I mean, the, the Flying V was a bit of a dog. It wasn't a yeah. guitar that was used in rock. Uh, it was the Fender Strat or the, or the uh, Les Paul. That was, yeah. that was it. Um, and Gibson came out with that guitar, and, you know, um, and, and no one really wanted everything. Because you, you kind of you know, you have balls to pick up a ridiculous looking thing like that. And, and, and you can only do one thing with it, which is perform, right? Yeah. So I was, in, I was in a store buying some equipment, Orange Gear, in London, and uh, the, the, this guitar was hanging on the wall. I picked it up. And I immediately realized this thing sounded really good, you know, even before I plugged it in. And... Um, well, I knew about the guitars, you know, but I was like, could I be, could I play one of these things? I plugged it into this equipment, and I thought, this sounds really good, you know, it's got the tremolo unit on it, the vibrola, and I was like, yeah, you know, and I, and I on a whim, I just bought it right there, 300 pounds, that's about, I don't know, what would that be, about $370, <laughs> brand new, it'd been in a packing case since 1967, we're talking 1971, when I yeah. bought it, 72. And um, and I just immediately bonded with the thing. I was a skinny, 120-pound kid, and it's a big guitar, Flying V, a lot, a lot of wood in that thing, you know, with fins sticking out of the back, and I just wrapped myself around it, and it became my thing. And people immediately kind of latched onto it. Yes. And um, before I knew it, you know, all the, the people in the, uh, in the the press, photographers and stuff in the British magazines that would come out of the weekly pr uh, press, started uh, putting pictures of me in the papers because they thought it, you know, it was, yeah, cool. it was eye candy. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and so before I knew it, um, other bands started using it. I mean, Mark Boland picked a flying V up. And then the next thing we see, you know... Um, Michael Schenker. A little bit later. Yeah, Michael Schenker. Well, yeah, definitely. He used to come and see our shows. And Rudolf Schenker. Yep. In fact, Rudolf ended up buying some of my, my guitar, my flying V connect collection from the 70s. Wow. He's got a ton of my guitars right now, actually. But, um, yeah, so it became, it suddenly started to become the guitar being associated with rock and more specifically metal. Yes. But, you know, um, Wishbone actually is not a metal band, as you know, but right. um, you, you can see how, how it all developed. But I remember as a kid seeing you on the cover of Kerrang! with that flying V. <laughs> And it was kind of, for a yeah. kid, it was eye candy, because it was like, wow, that's Yeah, a cool well, you movie. know, you got, what is that? I want one of those. <laughs> yes. I get it, yeah. I mean, you know, we all fantasize over guitars. I mean, for me, the first guitar I loved was the Fender Stratocast, but, but then it, it just became the Flying V, and I just thought, it's such a cool, and it sounded great, and I made yeah. it mine. And I bonded with that instrument, and I still bond with it. I still love the sound of flying V's. I've got many of them, uh, and I um, these days I have them. Uh, you know, I have uh, they kind of customized for me, and so on and so forth. But the old, uh, the original thing still still works. Tried and tough, tested, you know. So you still have the original one you bought for three hundred pounds? I do. I had that sixty-seven. I mean, I later acquired a fifty-eight and a fifty-nine. I mean, those things are about the price of a house now, you know. Yeah. But um, those 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 went to other people. Um, yeah. 
they're such uh, fantastic mid-century artifacts. I mean, I have I have some uh, replicas of those guitars, but I don't. You can't take those things out on the road. Yeah, you can't take a 1959 Les Paul. You just can't take them out on the road. It's right. worth too much money. You know? So we can't expect to see you with the that original Flying V. <laughs> Actually, well, telling a tell a lie, I have played it in and around Connecticut on ah. uh, live shows. So I do pull it out from time to time, and I I'm not afraid to use it, but. Um, if it's a long tour and it gets thrown in the back of a truck, I'm a bit yes. worried about it, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's got a lot of uh, mojo, that guitar. Oh, yeah. If you go on stage without the fly, without any Flying V, people will be disappointed. You're kind of... They pr- well, back, to- back in the 70s, I tried to switch over to Gibson Firebirds. Yeah. My manager at the time, Miles Coburn, he came up and goes, Andy, you can't do that. I went, <laughs> what do you mean I can't do that? He says, you're the V, man. you got to stick with the V. I went... Yeah, you probably got a point, you know. So I ended up selling the 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 white Firebird to Stephen Stills. He bought it, so yeah. and I went back to the V. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the title tra- other songs. The title track, Coat of Arms. sort of steely damn boogie to it i like that um do you agree with that i do actually in a strange way you know I, maybe that's us playing playing steely damn back because you know, i don't know if you know this but the song reeling in the years yeah right if you listen to the outro riff on that song yeah they cop to wishbone ash oh, twin yeah. lead guitar part from the song of ours yes so well, maybe we're paying them back. I don't know. <laughs> but no, there was no intent. There was no intent to be that. But I think that's a that's a strong observation in a way. It's a nearly eight minute track. Yeah. Uh, goes through a lot of movements, and um, yeah, it's a pretty sophisticated little bit of rock. Yeah, you know, I hear that a lot from your fans that they think that other bands were so influenced by your melodic guitars. Like, for instance, Leonard Skinner and Freebird. Halfway through that, yeah, people thought it was like yeah. Argus, the instrumental well, bits. Well, I think we, we, you know, the the irony there is that we way before they had Freebird, and I'm not going to take anything away from the success of Freebird. It's been a phenomenal song, but we had a song about a bird, mm. and you know, we they would have seen us play that, and that yeah. song was called Phoenix, and we still play that song yes. on stage. I mean, Phoenix is our anthem, and it starts out ponderously and slow and scenic, and then it goes into this kind of rocking guitar workout. So, you know, um, yeah, there's lots of songs like that. I mean, you listen to the band Thin Lizzy, you can hear parts of our riff. Even bands like Metallica, you know, you can, you can, you can hear, and, and that, to me, that's a great honor to be, um, to have your peers, you know, kind of reference a band mm-hmm. like Wishbone Ash and to be influenced by the guitar um, things that we did. I mean, yeah. to me, it's only good, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with you. Instead of feeling like you were, they pinched it, it's more like it's a, you know, they're they're sort of tipping their hat to you, like you you guys tipping think, their hat, yeah, 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 and that's a good thing. I mean, everyone's influenced by something, yes, you know. And there's a way to pay tribute, you know. Uh, if you plagiarize, that's that's that's, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you pay tribute and tip your hat, that's another thing. Yeah. Well, you know, they say every poet is a thief, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what is true, you know. We're, you know, I'm a fan of music. I'm listening all the time, and um, 
and I'm producing stuff and I'm sure the stuff that I listen to somehow worms its way into some of the inspiration for songs here and there, you know? I mean, they say you guys are always influenced by the Yardbirds, the dual guitar playing, but the twin lead guitar kind of came, came by accident, I, I, right? Yeah, well, no, I think with, with Wishbone, if there's any band that we were influenced back, back in the day, it would have been Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Okay, probably, that makes sense. Because they, they, they were dabbling. They did more with twin leads, I think. But then, of course, we took it so much further. I think I think the Yardbirds thing was it's just a, 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 an accident. I think they dabbled with very, very briefly. But mm -hmm. um, I think Fleetwood Mac did, did some cool stuff with twin leads and then... Of course, when we came to America, they paired us on bills with the Allman Brothers, who I wasn't really aware of. Um, but that was a different type of thing. Our, our influences were a bit more English and yep. church-based and folk-based, and there was obviously was country and blues. And um, but it was great, you know. I love playing with the Allman Brothers. And but I think that by now we've probably taken it further than than pretty much any other band, I would think. Do you think that Wishbone Ash got too much of the British rock tag instead of um, maybe that could have done better in America? Or how do you feel about all that? Well, you know, we've always been a band that's been somewhat under the radar. Yeah. Um, we were never we were never sort of uh, tied in with hit singles from one decade or another. Yes. And 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 there's a double edged sword to that. One, the one good thing about it is it's produced this band with incredible longevity. You know, because we are, we're always like, you know, we're known as a player's band, we're known as a touring band, and we're not limited, you know, by that. Um, but the other side, as you say, I mean, we got to quite a good level in America. We were, we, we were did. touring and playing municipal auditoriums. We're doing ten thousand seaters and so on. And we had a, we had a, a brief run there. Where we had bands like Aerosmith opening for us. We had ZZ Top opening for us. We had, even had Bruce Springsteen <laughs> over for us. Yeah. But you know, eventually, then the tide turned, and we would end up opening for them. And um, yeah. so we never quite, we never became that band, like say something like a Genesis. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the, the British, the British thing, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, there was a very brief period there where Britain ruled the waves as far as, you right. know, um, rock bands, touring bands, prog bands, progressive rock bands. But we we fed off all of that. Yeah. And um, I don't think it really impacted us. I think one of the cool things was the fact that we signed with MCA, Decca MCA in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And back in the day, um, the key thing about that was the distribution. They were able to push our product, as they call it, all around the world. And so, you know, the um, the that was that was another thing that really tied into the longevity of the band. So, you know, we were you could go to any country. You could go to the Soviet Union. You could go to Japan. You could go to Finland. You could go, and people would come to the shows with our albums. Well. Mm. That wasn't always the case with other bands. Mm. So that kind of like locked us into a touring thing, and we just ended up this band being this band that toured forever. Yes. Well, I almost felt like in the beginning of the 70s, being a British band helped because of the 60s, and then sort of like in the mid-70s, people were looking for more American bands, here at least. That's true, yeah. And well, you know, you had the rise of bands. You know, by, by that time, the Americans had learned their lessons a lot. Yeah. Uh, you got to imagine, like, the first bands that really kind of got stadium rock going um, were bands like The Who from Britain. Yes. I mean, they really they really got stadium rock across to yeah. Americans. And then 
Given a couple of years later, the Yanks learned their lessons well. And then you have bands like Boston and Journey, yeah, and Aerosmith. they just took those. They, right. Yeah, the Aerosmith. They took those those lessons, and then they just they just took it even further. And then they, you know, with the fantastic ability of the American way to sell this stuff, you know, um, sell themselves and to market it. Yes, that's um, huge. It became all highly organized, you know. And then, yeah. of course, you, I mean, we had a band open for us at um, Long Beach Arena. It was a band called Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, we were big. We were headlining. Yeah. And they opened up and they, they, they did their show and they came on in their ridiculous outfits and we we're like, that's never going to, that's just so cheesy, man. That's never going to work. <laughs> You know, how, how that's got no cred to it whatsoever. And how how wrong could we be? They, but they took that. They realised the circus uh, yes, they aspect did. of rock. Marketing. They realised that yep. the visual, the yeah, marketing and visual, and they realised how to do it. And and they turned they 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 turned that brand into something incredible. Yeah, we were too busy being musicians, I think. Yes, <laughs> and I think uh, you know, as a fan, I just felt like. Uh, I wish Americans would have uh, listened to Wishbone Ashmore, and I felt like Argus was such a good representative of uh, you know classic rock. It had had a little bit of everything in it: Prague, classic rock, um, all the good stuff that came from the '60s, really, and in going into the '70s. I think you're right. Yeah, and in a way, it was really an honest um, representation of where we were at the time. One side of it was very English, you know, songs like Run yes. Down the Sword and Warrior. And then the other side was reflecting our new experiences of being right. touring in America. You know, I think songs like Blowing Free and Time Wars were more American in their style. And, and I think that... Um, yeah, it's just young guys being honest and just uh, shooting from the hip, really, yeah. uh, before there was any kind of marketing. Of course, the, the closest we came to the marketing aspect of that album was really the um, the artwork for it, it was, which yeah. was the Argus. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had this incredible team, Hypnosis, um, oh, designing yeah. these album covers. Yes. So you had this art rock style about the band that... People loved, you know. We're talking, you know, opening up those big LP covers and 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 and, and look, it, this is real art. I mean, it, it, the art, album art was at the peak at that point, oh, so yeah. we, we tapped into that. Yeah. I have all my original Wishbone Ash on vinyl, no CDs. It's all. <laughs> it's really? got. It's got to awesome, be vinyl. Man. It's got to be vinyl <laughs> because that's how it awesome. came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. Now I got it all too. <laughs> now you feel comfortable with the new lineup. You're you're touring and and uh, you're going to yeah. be touring all. I guess I could see you on the East Coast in the fall. I guess you'll yeah, be touring. Yeah, the there. fall will be coming around. Yeah, for sure. And because um, you'll be touring, I think you have a break during the summer. I'm looking at it now, and then but basically you'll be busy all year touring. And as a veteran rock musician, does. Touring doesn't get tired for you. I mean, how do you look at it now compared to? <laughs> no, no, I, I, you know, I, I tune right into it, man. I mean, it's normal life that gets tiring. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. Come out on the road, I'm, I'm in my zone. You know, I mean, Good I, point. I, uh, I'm, I'm energized. I mean, right now talking to you, you know, I'm energized. You know, you're, you're reminding me of my history, and um, I'm playing on the road. Yeah, it's physically very tiring. Um, but it's very you feel alive playing, uh, and, and I'm I'm a big travel freak, so I do. 
I love um, like practicing my uh, schoolboy German on tour in Germany, and uh, I lo- I'm a big, you know, I'll try foods from anywhere. You know, I'm not I'm not one of these guys that try, oh I can't eat Japanese food or oh boy I can't do that. I'm like bring it on. I like to try it all. You know. So you don't um, stick in the so hotel. That- you 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 adventure out. I do, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm open to new experiences, and um, it's just stuff stuff coming at you every day. I'm 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 a proactive, positive sort of person, so I love travel. That's a big part of being in a band. So um, I buy into all of that, and I, I it, physically it's tiring. Yeah, I will agree. There are aspects of it. Um, well, physically you, know, you look packing. great. You look great. You're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be seventy. I mean, you look fantastic. Um, That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You have probably more energy than I do, and I'm in my early fifties, so uh, I think it's <laughs> it's great. Oh well, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 music's great. It keeps you young, you know. What can I tell you? Well, keep on touring. Um, hey, is there still is there still blood, bad blood with you and Turner, Martin Turner? Is is that still going on? Is there ever going to be? Uh, well, I think it. Yeah, well, I think it's calmed down somewhat. I mean, we had the court case. We had to battle over the name. You know, yeah. I'd been, I'd never stopped doing it. I never quit. Um, I'd never left any of the companies and the partnership. And, and so, I, it was, it was really a that scenario with the um, the court case was yeah. people around me, the people that, that depend on the livelihood. You know, they were saying, you. you know, agents, record labels. You know, you got to go to court. Um, I wouldn't say. I mean, we don't we don't hang out together. We don't talk. We 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 never really. But I mean, um, you know, we both share this history. You know, I mean, you do, uh, and f- that's what fans uh, care about. Fans, of course, and I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. You know, I, I can't. I don't have any. I'm I'm just like it's just a fact of life, man. You just yeah. have to deal with it. Um, he he had to deal with it. Now he's, and I'm glad. I'm happy for him. He's out on the road and he's playing. Our music in a diff, uh, in a diff, in a different format in a different way. Um, well, I hope one day yeah. before you guys turn eighty to see you guys jam on you, stage again. I never say never, man. I never yeah. say never about yeah. anything. I'm open. I'm a completely open book. <laughs> well, peace, and I hope to see you on the road. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Pat. Uh, nice talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Keep in touch. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Cheers, man. Bye. Uh, so, listeners. Pick Up Coat of Arms by Wishbone Ash. They are on tour starting this month, and they will continue on tour through March in the U.S. Okay, this is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, signing off. Don't forget to check out Goldmine Print Magazine in Books A Million and Barnes & Noble select stores out there. Also, select record stores. You can find out what those stores are and latest issue in the record store directory, or go online and find out at goldminemag.com. You can also get exclusive content and also a percentage off the subscription price. Okay, see you next time. Bye now. Hey, this is Brad Page from the I'm in Love With That Song podcast, inviting you to join me as we explore a different song each episode discovering what makes these songs great. The performances, arrangements, and the production tricks and techniques are all part of creating those magic moments that turn a good song into a great one. 
On this podcast, we take a deep dive into each song, listening to all those nuances that came together to make it a great song. Our journey takes us across the musical map, from the Beatles and the Stones to Aretha Franklin and Tom Petty, Kiss, The Cars, Todd Rundgren and Roxy Music, from Badfinger to Al Green, Stevie Wonder to David Bowie, from Aerosmith to the Zombies. We listen to it all on the I'm in Love with That Song podcast. You may be unfamiliar with some of these songs, and some of them you've probably heard a hundred times, but I bet if we listen closely, we can discover something new. So, join me on the I'm in Love with That Song podcast, and let's listen together, because I think you're going to love these songs too. Yeah.